What would you tell new agents that you something you wish you would have known earlier on? The the first thing is that you can hire out a lot of the mean like the not meaningless but the kind of the the mindless tasks that take up a lot of your time. Um, you can hire that out and look to doing that as soon as possible. I would say do your first few deals, your first few transactions on your own, just so that you understand the process. Because you can't manage the manager if you don't understand the process. So learn the process and then start hiring out as, as soon as possible. I probably would have done another ten deals in my first year if I would have um, if I would have you know, hired out my transaction coordination stuff. And then I would say network, learn as much as you can, and then just find a way. Regardless of what it is, find a way to add value. If you add value to someone or to a certain community, then you can become the agent for that community. So the question is this: How do most agents succeed in today's competitive real estate market when all the successful agents are keeping the secrets to themselves? So that's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. I interview agents from all over the world. I ask them their tactics, and they share all of their secrets with me, so we can give them to the world. I'm Aaron Amuchastegui, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Real Estate Rockstars. This is Aaron Amuchastegui. Today, I get to interview Caleb Drake. Caleb's with the Five Pillars Realty team in the Florida Panhandle. We got to chat for a few seconds already as we're ready to get started, and I'm excited about this interview. Caleb, how's it going? It's going well. How are you? I'm doing good. You live in Pensacola. What a, a beautiful place, right? Yeah, some of the nicest beaches uh, around. Nicest beaches around. We're going there. We're going to be close by there, Rosemary Beach, for vacation uh, in about a week. We'll be flying in right by you guys and, and driving around over there. It's an easy flight from Austin, Texas, where I'm at, and it's pretty cool. There's some such pretty beaches. I didn't even really know about the Panhandle till last year, but it's not the part of Florida people think about. No, it's kind of the uh, it's kind of a hidden gem down here. So, so it's a great short term rental market as well. How long have you lived there? I've been here since 2014. I got here um, like September of 14. I was I joined the or I rejoined the military. I um, got out for a couple of years, went to college, and then came back in with a commission, and uh, been down here ever since. Right on. So, the when did you get into real estate? It was around. Well, I started investing. Um, I bought my first house, and then I started house hacking that um, that property. But then I became an agent in like March of 2021. All right. So the and when did you when did you buy your first house hack? I bought my first house. I closed actually January 1st of 2016. Um, and by like February, March, I had a, my first long-term tenant. Um, and then I went through all my training. I was a special operations uh, recon guy and um, I flew special operations tactical recon. And so I was deploying six months of the year. Um, when that tenant moved out, I turned that house into an Airbnb and it kind of just been on a, um, a growing, you know, scaling cycle since then. So you were an investor for four or five years while you would spend half the year out on, you know, flying around doing missions and then half the year being there after about four or five years, you decided you wanted to become an agent. What made you pull the trigger to actually become a licensed agent? Yeah. So that was actually, um, it's kind of a bittersweet story. Uh, my first house, when I bought it, I, uh, I, I'm coming from Indiana. I didn't realize that there was a such thing as wetlands and, uh, the agent that sold me the house kind of 
knew that there was some issues with it. Uh, I had a little bit of proof. I had about a hundred thousand uh, dollar lawsuit that I was kind of pursuing at that point. Um, yeah. Fast forward, I had a new agent. We were looking for new property, um, and when my house flooded in Hurricane Sally because of the wetlands behind it that um, were kind of misled to me, I was like, I'm never going to let that happen to any of my friends. I'm never going to, um, you know, let anybody that I can help have this kind of a problem. And that was my catalyst to get my license. Um, also, my my agent at the time, my new agent, um, my mentor, Rhonda, she was like telling me, like, Caleb, like, when we were looking at properties, she's like, you know more about investing and you know, you're teaching me things on how to build, you know, properties and you've done your research, like, you, you would be a great agent. I'm like, I don't know, like, I'm full-time military. Maybe I'll get my license and sell to my friends, you know, buy my own deals, be able to pull the commission to pay the, you know, the down payment. Well, then that's when my house flooded. It was like two or three months later. And I was like, yeah, I'm doing this. So that yeah. was my, my catalyst. So when that first one went so wrong and you had to sue the agent, do you, what, what, what was the agent thinking? Like, did they, did they make a mistake? Did they know about it? Did they like forget to tell you? Or do you think they withheld or like, cause that's a really big error. And as an agent, you realize later, like, I mean, disclose, disclose, disclose is the name of the game. And so it's, um, it shouldn't happen. Right. Or, or you think it wouldn't. So have you ever like gone back and tried to figure out how did this happen? How did this agent let this happen? Yeah. And I, I did. And, um, and that was kind of when I started kind of looking at it, that was why I was like, you know what? I think I want to get my license. Um, I think it was a little bit of both, um, just misleading, kind of assuming that the worst wouldn't happen again. And then just wanting to get the sale, you know, just kind of wanting to get, I was a first time home buyer. I'd looked at a lot of properties. I was probably a needy client, you know, we all have them and, yeah. uh, you know, asking a lot of questions and, uh, it was probably just like a, finally we found a house and I had just moved my, um, my price point up a little bit. And so we found this house. It was beautiful. I'd never lived in a house that had granite countertops or anything of that sort. And so it was, uh, one of those things was like nice to, to have this new thing. And so I jumped on the property. Um, they kind of noticed some of the things in the inspection report and like, Oh no, you know, this house is in this area flooded in the hurricane or in uh, you know, the hundred year flood. It's, it won't happen again. And then, you know, fast forward four years later and we had about six inches of water in the house. Did insurance cover you on that? Yep. Yeah. We had, um, we had a good insurance, um, policy. So we, and we had a friend of ours that was a contractor. And so he fixed the property. I actually, um, three months after the house flooded, I got sent to Afghanistan. And so my fiance was here as a, essentially a single mom and, uh, trying to remodel a house while I was kind of trying to manage it from, you know, from afar. Brutal. So it's like in the middle of a insurance claim, new construction flood, living there with a kid running around. Um, at the same time, we were building our brand new house that we live in now. So we were doing all of that while I was deployed. Um, needless to say, it made our relationship, you know, a lot stronger. And we kind of saw what we could endure. So, yeah, well, bad experiences can go either way. They can make it stronger or they can, they can, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, I guess. You know, when I think about what that agent did, it's, um, it's this good reminder in real estate especially for newer agents that are out there that are working so hard. And sometimes it's about like that idea of like something bad won't happen again. I think agents need to be careful and remember that like this business is a long-term business. 
right? And the like, it's a it's if you treat a client right, they're a client for 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 life, and if you don't, they're not. And then you know, being short sighted, right? Thinking about like I got to get this commission now instead of what's better for my client is such a it's such a dangerous thing in real estate. And I think it happens. I mean, it definitely it definitely happens. But it's just remembering like not tr- the short the short term win doesn't win in the long run. And when there is some risk and or like just being honest and communicative, especially with the first time home buyers. And so it sounds like a, a big mistake that agent made. And, you know, it's always a it's it, it definitely bittersweet when you've got an agent that kind of failed that let you down that didn't didn't kind of treat you the way that you were hoping protect the way you were hoping that pushed you into that. But I recently had a transaction with a with a new agent that it was just it became so obvious really quick. They were buying a property of ours, you know, they came in over asking cash. It was like a 10 day close. So they were like really, really strong and wanting to do, you know, whatever it took to get it. But I quickly saw that, um, she didn't really have control of her buyer. So I remember her buyer, like switching title and escrow companies, like three days in on a 10 day close. And then they were like, well, we'll pay for title escrow. And I'm like, do you understand that's going to cost you an extra $3,000 for no reason? Right. It's trying to understand. And she's like, well, they're just more comfortable with that. They really want to do that. And it's like you need to like that agent needed to be able to step in. And then, you know, two day a day later, they asked for like a forty thousand dollar credit on a two hundred sixty thousand dollar house for really nothing was wrong. Like it was like a two thousand dollar inspection repair stuff. And it was like it was just realizing like how unreasonable it was and us having to realize like, well, that sale, that sale and offer was never real but a, a good people also don't understand that a bad agent can make or break you because we won't accept another offer from that agent right because it was so clear that like the it, that it just wasn't really real so there's good ones and bad ones i'm glad that you came in and decided to become a good one so 2021 you became an agent you decided to get licensed what was that first year of real estate like for you so ironically my first sale was uh i worked it with my mentor and I was actually still in Afghanistan. So I closed my first, my first property. Um, it was, a you know, inside the broker is kind of a, a pocket listing within the uh, brokerage. And they, they did the walkthrough for me. My, my client was actually in Afghanistan with me and, uh, and she bought it and we did all the paperwork and I, I handled the whole transaction from, from overseas. Um, so, so, how, so did you get her as a, so she was a buyer lead and like while you're with her in Afghanistan, she said she wanted to buy a house. And is that, is that how you got that lead? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a little deeper than that, but it was actually, uh, my, like, my son's mom. So it was like my ex-wife that we're still really good friends and yeah. she knew I had my license. She's like, Hey, and, and so we had been looking, um, and then we're like, you know what, like this is the house. And so we're like, well, we don't have to look when we get home. And so, um, you know, it was, it was kind of an honor to like, to be able to sell her her first home. And, you know, now I know that my son, when he's with her, we split 50, 50, you know, he's got a great place to live because, you know, we did the work to find it. So the first transaction was a very, and and I think a lot of investors that become agents, the first transaction sometimes is their own, right? So that's kind of like that one. So first transactions, pretty easy, pretty simple lead. It kind of like just fell into place. What about after that? So like you're still in Afghanistan, you do your first sale, you're a licensed agent now. Yep. How many deals did you end up doing in that next 12 months? Uh, my first 12 months, I did 20 deals. Um, I picked up a, a decent size investor who I sold nine properties to. Um, that first year, I did 11 um, other deals. And then probably I think four or five of those were listings. The rest was mostly buyer stuff. 
And then it was a lot of my personal sphere. I didn't do any marketing. I didn't really even have a good signature block. It's because I kind of like, I wasn't taking myself seriously. I kind of had imposter syndrome where I was like, well, I'm still active duty military. I can't be this agent, you know, and, and spend all this time. But it was in the middle of um, kind of the COVID, you know, everything going on with COVID and work from home and the military was being very lenient on if you can get your job done from home, do it, please. So that, you know, we don't infect the base. And so I had a lot of free time. And so I took a lot of that free time and I just capitalized on it. You know, I didn't watch that flicks. I ran numbers and we picked up properties. So how did you get that? So that first investor lead was that was, was that sphere? Like, how did you, how'd you get that client? No, it was actually a referral from a, from a friend of mine. That's a big investor out of, um, out of Kentucky now. And Aaron kind of threw it my way. And it was a very, like, this person was just looking for somebody on Facebook and they were like, Hey, I'm looking to grow into the Pensacola market. I started talking to the guy, his name's Tom. Um, he's a amazing investor. He's taught me a ton about, you know, running businesses and investing in properties, running numbers. And I kind of just became his guy because I was so new and I was willing and eager to, to be that agent that, you know, would keep his business. I didn't have that huge pipeline. Um, I worked my butt off for him and I still do. And, you know, there was, times where he would ask me a question at, you know, 10 o'clock at night and I was available. You know, I did, I didn't have a work-life balance because I was working two full-time jobs and then also investing myself. So I was just constantly in the grind. Um, so doing that really helped me to build that reputation and then learning from him, it kind of just threw me into the mix of being an investor agent. You know, it wasn't necessarily always my, like, I'm always, I'm going to be an investor agent. It just, it fell into my lap and then I learned that, you know, what they say, riches are in the niches. And I became that guy here in Pensacola and I'm trying to grow our team to be, you know, the go-to, Hey, you are, you know, we want to invest in Pensacola or the Florida Panhandle. We'll call Caleb at Five Pillars. Yeah. So if we want to dissect that for other people, if we want to dissect it for people that are like, Hey, I want to essentially, they want to get more business. They want to get in and they want to get investor clients. So the first one, came to you like so, so they made a post on Facebook saying hey they were looking for an investment you had a friend that said hey go talk to Caleb so how did that friend know you were in real estate like you said you weren't doing too much marketing but were you putting it on social media hey I, hey I'm doing this or had you been sharing like flips or like how did how did that person know that you were the go to when you were so new cuz like once you got the lead it seems like the way to like, you know, the lesson people would get is if you get the lead and you've got an investor, like work your butt off for them, work around the clock to try to give them the info they need. Because if you treat them good once, then they're going to have you do everything. Then you become their go-to. So like once you got the lead, something like it's a very, uh, you know, copyable circumstance there. Like there, there's a process that other people can follow. But how did people know to find you originally? Yeah, it was literally um, a lot of networking and a lot of just telling everyone what you do, right? Like, Anybody in your personal sphere that, you know, that you're talking to, just find a way to bring up that you're in real estate and make it organic, right? Like, don't go into the, into the conversation. The first thing is like, Hey, how you doing? I'm Caleb. I sell houses. Like that doesn't, you know, that, that sounds kind of standoffish. It sounds like the first thing you're trying to do is sell them something and kind of are, but you know, any conversation you have, just find a way, you know, like, Hey, how have you been? Oh, I've been great. I'm just really busy. Oh, why? You know, boom, there's your sales pitch. Um, or like, Hey, I just bought a house. Um, and you know, I invest in out of state, like, Hey, I'm investing out of state. Like, Oh, cool. What are you doing around here? Well, you know, I got my license. I've been selling to big investor, um, clients and 
you know, we've been doing a lot. Oh, and then, you know, that transition is like, Hey man, I'm thinking about selling my house, my PCS from the military. Can you, can you list it? I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, and then, then you build your pipeline that way. It's just, everything has been with me has been talking to people and just building relationships and becoming that trustworthy person. And even, you know, telling the story of your failures when you're having these conversations, um, you know, it just makes you approachable and makes you like, an, just being an honest broker, what you can deliver for those people. Um, just whether it's residential or investors has really just been beneficial to me. So what sort of networking were you doing? Like, is just going, just going anytime there was a social event going to that, was it specific real estate stuff or, you know, was it military stuff? What sort of, you know, networking were you doing? Uh, a lot of the above. So just trying to get involved with, um, you know, some of the military investment communities. There's a few out there. Um, there's real estate meetups, mostly in probably every market um, that people listen to. There's at least one real estate meetup. And if there's not, the best way to ge uh, generate leads is to create one, you know, be the, be the face of the investor community and you'll pull a lot of clients and a lot of, um, a lot of leads that way. All right. So you started going on, um, so you're going to networking, you're starting conversation with how are you doing? I've been busy. People ask you why now they know you're in real estate. And just by getting that out there, you're able to like, let your sphere know, you got that one lead that turned into nine and then I'm sure, or, or uh, however many you did with that investor. And then that ends up starting to snowball where, how did you get, how did you end up getting your first listing? Uh, first listing was uh, a friend of mine, um, you know, personal sphere did it at a pretty good discount for them to kind of learn. They knew that I was, um, that I was, it was a neighbor of mine. Um, so mm -hmm. they kind of knew that I was pretty new to, to real estate. So they were, but they were trustworthy. We kind of bonded over the, uh, the mutual hatred of our homeowners association. Mm -hmm. uh, they were actually moving out of the neighborhood because of the homeowners association. And so I was the, uh, kind of the face of the resistance, um, because I was renting my house out as a short-term rental. So there was a lot of contention there. So they were like, Hey, we went out of here. Like we trust you. Um, you know, that it was kind of the height of, uh, a lot of the, the political stuff going on and the COVID stuff. And uh, they were like, you know, you're, you're kind of a like-minded individual with us. Our last agent was not, she's posting a lot of crazy stuff on Facebook. We want to just move on from that. And so I listed that house and did very well listed my house across the street pretty soon after that neighbors in the neighborhood started seeing that. So I listed another house in the neighborhood and then um, a neighbor down the road that actually I'd never met. Um, just stopped me when I was mowing my lawn and said, Hey, I've got a, a friend that um, is looking to sell our house. You sell, you, you sell on this one, right? I said, yeah. And, uh, so we started talking and, and then he referred me out. And so I, I listed that one. And so I listed four houses um, within, you know, probably a, a two to three month period there with just no advertising, just word of mouth and just kind of um, just being the guy in the neighborhood that, that was doing everyone a good job. You know, neighbors talk. If you're not, if you're not a good agent, like, they're not going to use you, you know, like, Oh, how was it? Well, he, he did it and you know, it's okay. Or like, how was it? Well, we got five offers and negotiated them and we got, you know, $20,000 above asking. Do you do any like CRM work or follow up with previous clients and stuff? So they were, you know, they don't forget about you. I do now. So that was, that was first year rookie Caleb. You know, that was, yeah. uh, that was imposter syndrome, Caleb. Um, that was at a, a small brokerage with, paper files and, you know, doing everything manually. I didn't have a transaction coordinator. Um, 
And then I kind of started to see that that was going to be very hard to scale. I started to really get a little bit of, you know, tailwind behind me with, with being a, um, an agent an investor agent specifically, I had a few more bigger investors calling me. I had a lot of smaller guys that were just getting kind of word of mouth through the, you know, the network and the communities that I was in. And, um, then I was like, you know, I, if I'm going to do this, I need to do it right. Cause like, I can't work, you know, all these things manually. So. Hey guys, a quick commercial break here, but don't worry. This one is only going to run for the next two or three episodes. I talk so much about the mastermind. It's one of my passions, getting everybody to come hang out in Austin where I get to meet you guys. Well, we just had it, you know, a few weeks ago and we decided for next year, we were going to do pre-sales. We're only selling 70 tickets total for the whole country. And that way we keep it nice and small where everybody meets everybody. And the end of it, it's like a big giant family. Well, we put out the pre-sales last week. And in the, during the pre-sales, we sold more than 60 tickets. So there's less than 10 spots left. 10 spots left if you want to join us for the mastermind for next year. We're putting the date so far out there. You've got no excuses um, to be able to know that the date works. You can put it in your calendar now. And we also set up a payment plan for people to break it up into four easy payments. So if you're one of those people that have thought about going to the mastermind, have never pulled the trigger, now's the time. And it's for, it's for March for next year. But you got to go sign up now if you want that spot. I don't like selling. I don't like advertising. So we figured we would knock it out quickly. We'd knock it out, you know, this first couple weeks in April for next year. So instead of working on that, we're going to focus on value. If you do join the mastermind, you get to be a, uh, join part of our private Facebook group where we do monthly Zoom calls, where we do tactics on those calls. They're really small. There's like, you know, between 10 and 20 people on those. So you get to ask lots of questions and learn from experts. So if you are interested in signing up, go to realestaterockstarsnetwork.com forward slash mastermind real estate rockstars network.com forward slash mastermind go lock in your ticket we have less than 10 spots left you can break it up into four payments so that way it is much easier to to be sure to join and i promise you it is the least expensive mastermind out there for the type of stuff that we're doing you know the go abundance masterminds that i talk about that i'm a part of cost five times what we do for this and i try to deliver twice as much value all right back to the podcast that was about the time when I, when I reached out to five pillars team with Shelby and, um, Ali Garcet and I was kind of just looking online. I think I somehow came across, um, Shelby's bigger pockets podcast and followed her. And I was like, you know what? Like they're going nationwide. Like, let me see what this is all about. I knew nothing about, you know, EXP or any of the, the program or any of the systems that, that the brokerage has. And, um, but I just reached out to Ali and I said, Hey, you know, like, thinking about this and she put me in contact and the first thing they're like, you don't have a transaction coordinator. I'm like, no, I, I, what's that? You know, like, you mean like those files you hate, like you can pay someone to do it. It's like, yeah, but I don't want to pay someone $300, you know, or $500 to do this out of my commission. And it was like, just try it. You know? So I did. And I was like, it was, it was eye opening. And when I saw that you could like scale by hiring and scale by, you know, starting to, to push tasks off onto people that, can do them and, and really looking at like, you know, cost per hour and what you can start farming out. That's, you know, that's, that's about the time when I stopped cutting my own grass, when I stopped doing my own landscaping, because, you know, if I spend six hours on a weekend doing landscaping, I could have sold a house and that's, you know, five to, you know, two to $10,000 in commission. So it's, it, when I started seeing that and I saw the light at the end of the tunnel and I knew that I could, you know, create something automated and, and scale it out. And I'm by no means perfect at any of the automation stuff, but that was when I realized that like I could grow and 
in my second year, I did 45 deals and about, it was a little over 11 million in volume. And that was still as a part-time agent. I love the advice they gave you of like, why don't you go ahead and try it? Like just try having a transaction coordinator once or twice and see how that frees you up because there's, and we talk about it a lot on here, but agents figuring out the part they love about the transaction then trying to focus on that. And then trying to have people that there are people that love paperwork. There are people that love setting up DocuSign and, and doing a checklist to show that the files are complete. There are people that that's their jam. They love doing it. They love, you know, and, and there are other people that just don't. And it's not only like scaling where it frees you up to do what you like, but there's also less of a chance of an error. When it talks about like agents, like that make errors and can screw somebody up. Right. If you've got somebody that's like really good at like disclosures and documentation and they love doing it, then you've got a better chance it's all going to go right. So you start, so you got to start scaling. So first you did it all by yourself and you didn't really want to turn it into it. You didn't really want to make it like a business because you had that kind of imposter syndrome. It sounds like the good thing you had that first year was the niche though. Or you wanted to be that investor agent. So when you're talking about that investor agent, is it all sorts of investments? Do you specialize in helping people buy short-term rentals and flips and long-term rentals? Like what's, what do you think your niche is? Uh, I kind of came into, into the business with, you know, already having an investor mindset and kind of the knowledge base, you know, whether it was, you know, a, a grand knowledge base, uh, I still knew numbers and I was still able to do that. So um, to answer your question in, in short form is I just kind of became an investor agent of like residential. Um, at first it was more um, like long-term buy and holds. And then once I started working with, um, with the investor client that started teaching me things, Tom, he was a big house flipper. And um, I started kind of learning those numbers. And in the second year was when I really realized that like I could build out a team to for investors to use here in the panhandle and I could, I could build a process that I saw that I had a void in my investing because I was um, doing like bird deals in the Midwest. And I, when I realized that like, it's impossible to find a contractor, it's impossible to find, um, you know, cleaners, et cetera, on these deals that I was like, well, why can't I just create that here? And so I found good relationships with, with general contractors and subcontractors and roofers. And so I built a, you know, it's not my team, but it's a, it's professionals that will, that are kind of loyal to the system that we've built and will do the rehabs for our clients. And by doing that, that's where I kind of essentially built my niche the second year. And that's where we've kind of scaled from there as far as, um, as our team here in the, in the panhandle is we became the guys that are like, Hey, I want to, you know, newer investors or bigger investors that are out of state um, or locally, but they, Hey, I want to flip a house, but I don't have the team. It's like, Oh, I got the GCs. I've got the lenders. I've got the, you know, the cleaners for when it's over with, I've got the roofer if we need them. And, um, you know, we'll, and we'll help you manage all of that um, through our vetted contractors that we use. And I don't use anybody. I don't recommend anybody that I haven't used at least once myself. And so I'll do a you know project with with a contractor, and then if they if they do it right, you know, and we'll keep them. And um, we've had a couple that we've we've had to kind of you know transition through contractors just over a couple of deals. But um, for the most part, we've had you know, really good success with being able to create that that team to for um, for our, our clients. So, what's your current investment strategy or portfolio right now? 
Um, personally, I have two short-term rentals in the Florida Panhandle. So we have one in Navarre and we have one in Pensacola. Um, the one in Navarre was our first kind of deal that I did with. I say we, I've got a business partner on, on most of these um, projects. That um, The one in Navarre was our first project and it was we had it for about two years before we decided that we really wanted to, to scale the business. Um, we saw the potential in short terms and long terms and so um, we bought... Uh, we started buying houses in the Midwest uh, where we went to college. We saw kind of a void in nice rentals there. And so we started trying to buy stuff, clean it up a little bit and actually get it rentable. So we did that. Um, so right now I have 10 properties that are cash flowing. Uh, I've got another one under contract that we should uh, close on next week. And then we've got a, um, like a, a remodel going on right now that we'll get rented out in the next probably three weeks. It'll be done. And then we've got the two short-term rentals and we're under contract for another property up in um, on Smith Lake in Alabama. And that property is going to be a value-add short-term rental property as well. We should be able to turn the single cabin that's on the property um, into about five different cash-flowing properties by the time that we're done with it. Because it's, it has 600 foot of lake, uh, lake frontage. Cool. So you're still finding... The investment, you're not doing flips right now. You're still finding investments that you can buy that are they're going to be long-term holds, whether they're regular rentals or short-term rentals. Yeah. I mean, if I can find something that pencils out as far as a, a flip, I'm still doing them. Um, but I'm still helping investors down here find fix and flips and a lot of bird deals, um, the community. So, you know, the buy, remodel, rent, refinance, repeat, um, bird deal is what we'll call it. But the, the bird method we're using that in the Midwest right now. We were planning on flipping up there, but where I where we invest in Indiana, but the numbers just kind of started changing with the market. And so we just thought, why don't we just hold everything? And if you know in two years it, it goes back up, we'll sell it or we'll just keep it and you know let it cash flow. And um, my goal this year is to pick up ten cash flowing long term rentals and three to five short term rentals. So we're on pace for the short terms if we create the kind of the, the um fam camp, the glamping sites that we're planning on doing with the property. And then the, the long-term rentals, we're just going to continue to, to buy these um, value add opportunities. Yeah. So what would you tell new agents that you, something you wish you would have known earlier on? The, the first thing is that you can hire out a lot of the mean, like the not meaningless, but the kind of the, the mindless tasks that take up a lot of your time. Um, you can hire that out and look to doing that as soon as possible. I would say do your first few deals, your first few transactions on your own, just so that you understand the process because you can't manage the manager if you don't understand the process. So learn the process and then start hiring out as, as soon as possible. I probably would have done another 10 deals in my first year if I would have, um, if I would have you know, hired out my transaction coordination stuff. And then I would say network, learn as much as you can, and then just find a way, regardless of what it is, find a way to add value. If you add value to someone or to a certain community, then you can become the agent for that community. Yeah, I like that. Like become, and that can be like volunteering at a kid's school. That can, there's so many different places, but it's like if you can add value in any community, and people know you're the real estate agent, then you become the go-to. That's yep. simple when it's like part of an investment community or something else. But, um, but I remember even Pat telling me that you know when he first started, it was like, oh, 
he became the guy that like when he after he sold like one police officer he let everybody know like no i'm the guy that like helps police officers get their house and he sold one one uh fireman oh yeah i i, I help firemen buy houses like you know and any like thing out that you're getting yourself in adding value and then you can become the agent for that one you're talking about now you're like hey you can hire out some of the other tasks what are some of the so you, you said now like you pay someone to mow your lawn you have a transaction coordinator what are some of the other tasks that you've done to try to scale so my transaction coordinator also isn't um she does a lot of like virtual administration stuff so she's doing a lot of our just even my investment portfolio she's doing a lot of the admin work for it so everything from you know keeping the folders up to date so that when we you know, we go to buy another property when the lender wants X, Y, Z, we've got folders for all that stuff. We can just pull it from. So I can just email her and say, Hey, Amber, will you send out X, Y, Z to, you know, to David? And, and she does that. And, and that's, you know, that one took me, you know, a half hour, 45 minutes. She already has the system cause she built it. And so she goes in, she can copy and paste all that stuff in, you know, four to five minutes. And, and that, that right there has, has just been able to, as a, as full-time military, like uh, there's not a lot of time during the day that I can do a lot of this stuff. You know, I can hop on my email. I can make phone calls at lunch. I can hop out if there's nothing going on to, you know, answer a client's questions. But for the most part, being able to just say in, you know, in me, I, I if I don't do something right at that time or I don't write it down, I forget because I've got a hundred things going on at once. Um, being able to just send a text or a WhatsApp or an email and just say, Hey, can you get this done? And then, you know, and then knowing that that, that one little task is, is going to be done, whether that's, you know, Hey, can you send out a, the investor intake form to our, uh, to this new lead so that we know exactly what they're looking for. So we can get them set up on a search to, Hey, can you send a follow-up email for the title company on, you know, this, or can you figure out where we are in this process? Um, a lot of that stuff that you can do, can be done by a virtual assistant or, you know, even, uh, just a, an assistant that you find locally. You know, I, I call Amber a virtual assistant. She lives 30 minutes, 45 minutes from me. So we, we meet up, you know, probably once a month to, to talk business stuff, but 90% of the stuff we do is over the, over the internet. Yeah. So it's virtual, but, but in person when needed, if needed. So, so what's next for you? So you're looking at like 2023, what's the market like in Pensacola right now? What are your goals for this year? Uh, my goals this year. So, kind of backtracking a little bit, but my goal, my last year's goal was to bring five agents onto my team here in five years. Uh, I did 10 in 14 months. And so my goal now is to be able to add the value to those agents that, that they just, they, that they deserve, right? Not that they necessarily expect, but the, that they deserve. So being able to create the systems and the back, you know, the back end processes for the team, to be able to add that value to those guys so that they want to stay and they want to work with us and they want to be a five pillar. So that is kind of the, the back end side. I'm still probably going to do around 30 deals this year. I'm on track for about 30. Uh, the market did slow a little bit. You know, if I tried really, really hard and I didn't focus on the other three businesses that I'm trying to build and run, I would probably be able to, to match that or, you know, even surpass the 45 I did last year. But this year I'm trying to do a lot more referrals and give my team work. Um, you know, I, I brought them on to, to five pillars team and a lot of the, actually a lot of our agents are part-time that are in the, my Florida team. And 
So, so giving those guys one to two, you know, clients to work a month and then putting those guys under contract is, uh, that's almost more rewarding to me than closing the deal myself because I get to see some of these newer agents succeed. I get to mentor these guys and I get to really, um, you know, like see their success and then make, make the reputation for, for us here. Yeah. So the, so as you, as you like, if someone wants to be an investor, right? They want to be an investor agent. They want to start learning some of the stuff. What are some of the the tools or technologies out there or things that people could start to get themselves familiar with to start to learn some of that analysis, right? You're talking about adding value, but are there any tricks, any software, any websites you like to use? Yeah, I would say there's a ton of free content out there. Um, by the time I realized this, I was already two to three years into investing. Um, YouTube university is kind of a cliche word, but it's true. There's a lot of information out there. I will say, don't get sucked into the gurus trying to sell you things. Um, find a network and an online community that you resonate with, whether, you know, if you're in the military, you know, a community like for military millionaire, or, you know, if you're in something else, you know, like a, if you're in a women's group, like find a women's investing group. And then the, a lot of those communities will have online training and, and taking some of those classes, I would say invest in yourself before you invest in a property because I got lucky on my first couple deals because I really didn't know anything. Um, but I just bought right. And we bought at a good time in the market where right now that's tough to say with the last, you know, two to three years of run up. So like being smart and investing in yourself and then, you know, using that technology like you're talking about, but I definitely would find some kind of a mastermind. Um, whether it's a pay to play mastermind that you actually feel like you resonate with, or if it's just free content on YouTube and building that small network of people around you, that would be where I would start. And then before we started talking, you mentioned like using, you know, rentometer, you know, to figure out like rental prices for things like is, um, what's that website do? Do you use like air DNA? Do you use any other analysis for like short-term rentals and things like that? Yeah. So that's kind of goes back to the adding value piece for your investors and your clients is, you know, I can't tell them necessarily if it's going to make money, but I can tell a client what the data, you know, what the data says, right? It's, it's a data game at that point. So yes. Yeah, so using rentometer, um, as an agent, we all have access to the MLS. Some markets actually put rental properties on the MLS, like the Florida market does. So I can go in and I can pull potential rents, for clients on the MLS, I can use Rentometer to get a general idea of what has been both on the MLS and off the MLS, you know, through Zillow, et cetera, and to see what a potential rent would be. And then I can help them pull, you know, using AirDNA. AirDNA is one that I don't use personally, but it's a great product. Um, I use Price Labs. They've got a, a, a dynamic pricing tool, but they also, a lot of people don't know, they also have a market analysis tool. And so that's where I kind of, uh, get my short-term rental data. And then I use another one called Rever, which is probably not a lot of people have heard of. It's a newer um, data aggregate, but it's, it's revr.com. And that one is a cheaper, um, a cheaper option to pull short-term rental data. And I like that. I use it for my own analysis, for my own properties uh, around here and in um, out of state. And so those would probably be the, the three places I would start, but expect to pay for some of that software because it's just, you know, it, everybody's trying to, to create a product and make the money. So um, you can also create, or I actually purchased 
a few different investor spreadsheets online to, to run analysis for um, properties and then, you know, have a nice spreadsheet that you could present to a client that says, Hey, this is the numbers. These are what we would expect. And just make sure that when you're, when you're presenting data to a client that you tell them that like, this isn't set in stone because it can become a liability issue, right? Like, well, you said I could make $2,000 a month. No, I said the data shows if you did this a certain way that you could probably make that much. Um, I have never ran into that problem personally because most of the people I work with are pretty, um, pretty savvy investors. So they're like, yeah, you know what, that, the data makes sense, but obviously I can put in the work. Hey, real estate rock stars. We only have a few minutes left in this episode, but before we get to the grand finale, I just want to say, as always, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. You know, podcasts are obviously free. You don't have to pay to listen to the podcast, but if you could pay one thing, if I could charge you one thing to listen to this podcast, what I would ask you to do is go, please make a review. Go to wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it's on YouTube or on Apple or Android, wherever you listen to podcasts and go give me a review of the podcast. I read them. I listen to them. I try to make adjustments. You know, a couple of years ago, I had a ton of bad reviews on the sound quality or the number of advertisements, things like that. And I've really tried to dial in to add value for all of you guys. So please, please, please go do a review. If you want to get a, a copy of the toolbox of the stuff that you know, everybody that comes on the show, they give us some tactics. They give us something that we put in what we call our toolbox. And so to get that, you go to realestaterockstarsnetwork.com. When you get there, click on the, the toolbox and you get access to the free gift that every person that we interview on the episode provides. There's things like, you know, uh, listing tactics, how to do a presentation, you know, how to do a newsletter, all sorts of cool, fun stuff. And if you want to talk to me, go find me on Instagram at Aaron Amuchastegui. Ask me a question. I talk to so many of you guys on there. All right. Back to the show. Thanks again for being a listener. I mean, it's great. It's great to be able to refer to third-party data and say, "Hey, this." I mean, that's why people get home inspectors. They're going to say, "That's what this person said." Third-party. They don't care if this deal goes through or not. They're just giving you what their opinion is, and sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. But the but you're just it's just a data point for that. Did you upload anything for our toolbox for the uh, for listeners if they want you know for as a, any of your tools? Yeah, I did. I uploaded um, my investor intake form and that investor intake form. And then um, I, think I, I think I put in an investor email as well. But the investor intake form is great because when I go into a client conversation with an investor, you know, the first thing they do is they start spouting off what they want, what they think, what they do, all of that. And that's great. But it's really hard to digest that stuff in a 30 minute conversation. And a lot of that I'm going to be I try to maximize my time between um, the military and and selling houses. So I try to plan my intake um, conversations while I'm driving. So it's really tough, obviously, to write things down. So the first thing I do is I go into those conversations and I let them know like, hey, I'm going to be sending you an investor intake form. I actually, I sent you guys kind of the template that I use, but we actually created a job form. Um, and so that job form, you go into it electronically and you fill it out and then it sends me an email with all of your answers. But I go into those conversations and I say, hey, you know, we're going to we're going to send you this form over, get it filled out, and then it'll help guide our conversation when we have it. So I've, most of the time I've already got their information right there and I already kind of know what they're looking for. And then when I go back to create either an MLS search or if I'm working with wholesalers to find them a property, whatever it is, I've got that information right there readily available, you know, in my face. I don't have to go back and look at text messages. I don't have to 
ask them, hey, did you say you wanted a 10% you know, cash on cash return on this property? Or you know, what are your SDR numbers? It's all in that, in that form. And that, yeah. it, it, I think that works great for especially people that are super busy. Yeah, I like it. So listeners, if you want to get a hold of that, you go to realestaterockstarsnetwork.com. And in there, we've got a button that says like get the toolbox or like sign up and you get access to any of the free gifts that any of the people that we listen to kind of put on there. So if you're interested in trying to figure out what you should email to investors, how you should ask them, I think that's that's great. So Caleb, a lot of the pints and a lot of the uh, people that are part of Five Pillars do the pints and properties type meetups. Have you have you tried that out in Pensacola? What's what's how's that worked and what's the formula been? Yeah, you know, um, I have, and the formula is already kind of like created. Um, I was really bad about reinventing wheels when I first started. Um, too stubborn to ask questions, too stubborn to admit that I didn't know, and so I was, you know, creating everything from scratch. Well. Um, when I joined Five Pillars, I realized that that was the dumb way of doing things. And Shelby has a system already built for the Pints and Properties. And for those that don't know, Pints and Properties is an investor meetup. Um, the Pints is obviously, you know, beer. And then Properties is self-explanatory. But we do ours at a, a, a local brewery here called Doc's Hop Shop. And Doc and um, the owner, Rob, have been very, very, very kind to let us use their establishment for for free. And, um, so we, we've been doing that at first it was, I wasn't really, again, I wasn't really advertising. I wasn't really networking like to the extent that I should have been. And I didn't really see the potential in the finance of properties as like a lead generation source. And so I was, we only had probably, you know, 10 to 15 people that were showing up you know, it was very sporadic. We weren't doing it at the same time each month. And then I kind of took a break and I had to take, do some self-reflection and I was working too hard. So I was like, I got to automate a lot of this. I got to, you know, and that's where I started about that same time was when I started hiring out. Um, fast forward, we took six months off. We started again in January and we started like really bringing in guest speakers that create a lot of value, really marketing the, the meetups and kind of having, you know, valuable discussions. And now we're at probably between 40 and 60 on average. Um, you know, people that are coming and some of those people are professionals within the industry, right? Like I'm never going to tell somebody they can't come um, to a meetup. You know, some people are like, well, this was my meetup. I'm an agent. I can't have other agents here. Like, no, you want that, right? You want to network with other agents because those agents are going to have good ideas that you don't. They're going to have good deals that you don't. They're going to, you know, they're going to have those pocket listings that they're going to say, Hey, I've got this pocket listing. I'm at this investor meetup. Like obviously they're going to try to sell it themselves, but I've got buyers that are always looking. You know, I'm talking to every agent I possibly can. Like, do you have anything? And, and just kind of, you know, creating those relationships. Have the abundance person or abundance mentality when you're when you're going into those conversations that like everybody can win, and you know nobody's your. There is competition, but nobody's your like direct competition to that point because everybody wants to succeed in this business and working together is the best way to do that. Yeah. Well, Caleb, this has been great. I think that our, I think you gave, gave a lot of value to our listeners and, and, and gave them some actionable kind of tools and a path to find, you know, find a niche, kind of the being able to find those repeat investors that add to things. And then, you know, the story at the beginning of the difference between a good agent and a bad agent and how if it's a good agent, you can keep using them and a bad agent can cost people money and they can cost clients money. And so it's about, you know, doing what you say you're going to do. And just the way that you started from just being like, uh, it's kind of going through the motions and getting some deals done to starting to scale with getting assistance. And now you're starting to build your teams and now you're going to start using the CRM and doing some of the follow-ups. 
it's been this journey as you've started just kind of like to master something and then stack on another layer and then master something and stack on another layer. Um, any final thoughts and, and then also tell everybody how they can reach out to you if they find you, if they want to know more about some of the tools or the underwriting you're doing, they want to send you some referrals out in Pensacola. What's the best way people can find you? Yeah. So you guys can find me. Um, I'm pretty active on Instagram at, uh, Drake underscore O H. So Draco, it's a kind of a play on my last name is Drake. And then, um, the airplane that I fly, the call sign is, uh, is Draco. So oh, cool. it's kind of a, a cool little uh, blend there, but, or you can find me at, uh, Caleb.Drake at exprealty.com. And, uh, really my, like my last advice is just to kind of reiterate, like, like, Continue to find your avatar, find your client, and really just start automating as much as you can, as early as you can. You know, don't reinvent the wheel. Everybody has a great system. Not everybody, but there are systems out there that will work for you. Just kind of, you know, capitalize on what's already built. Yeah. I like it, man. Well, Caleb, this has been fun. You know, part of the the small five pillars family of a, a couple of the a couple of the gals that are a big part of our mastermind. I'm glad I got to meet you know Shelby and Allie there. Maybe we'll see you uh, next March there if they can talk you into it. And thanks for coming on the show and providing so much value today for our listeners. Yeah, hey, I appreciate it. And I'm gonna put it right here and online that I'm gonna be there. I'll be at that mastermind. So awesome. We we there. will see you then. I can't wait. Real estate rock stars. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.